this episode is about marketing and we're, we've screwed <laughs> up speaking for both of our sponsors. So clearly we know what we're talking about. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm your co-host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And I'm your co-host, Trevor Hess, at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by Tenth Magnitude, a company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. Tenth Magnitude empowers businesses to better collaborate across teams and achieve IT transformation using cloud. They enable customers to innovate, automate, and accelerate by leveraging the power of Microsoft Azure. You can find out more at arrestedDevOps.com slash Tenth Magnitude. This episode is also brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 120 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at arresteddevops.com datadog. Do you want to be a change agent inside of your organization? Your personal brand is a critical factor to your success. Being considered relevant both inside and outside of your organization gives weight to your opinions and recommendations and will directly influence the impact you have. And believe it or not, that was not an ad. That's actually the intro I wrote for this episode. So I <laughs> realize as you're reading it, I'm like, this totally sounds like it's another pre-roll. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, we'll be discussing the methods for growing your brand without self-aggrandizing boasts or th claims of thought leadership. First, we have Andrea Javer. Andrea, tell us about you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Andrea Javer. I am the Senior Director of Global Digital and Media at Beam Centauri. Many people probably know Beam Centauri as the makers of Jim Beam, as well as Centauri Whiskey. So um, I'm based here in Chicago and work out in Deerfield. Great. We're also joined by uh, Michael Hedgepith, who I worked with to bring Chef to his company at NCR. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I am Michael Hedgepith. I'm a senior software architect at NCR. And NCR, basically, we do ATMs, uh, retail, uh, cash registers. We do restaurant uh, point of sale. And I'm in the hospitality division, which does the, the restaurant side of things. And like Matt was saying, we worked together last year to bring Chef into the organization. And I've learned over the years that... If you're good in technology, you go pretty quickly into a place where the technical problems aren't the hardest problems and the people problems are the hardest problems. And navigating uh, the people problems, especially within a large organization, is probably the most challenging part of implementing DevOps in an organization. So when Matt and I started talking about that, um, I had a lot of things that came up. And, and of course, Matt does too, because I know he understands that as well. So that's why I'm excited to talk about this subject today. This episode kind of came about where I was thinking about this as an idea for a talk, and I put together a little bit of an abstract, and I shared it with some people for feedback, including Michael, who, who gave me a lot of feedback, enough so that I said, so I guess you just wrote my talk for me, so that's awesome. Uh, now it's actually going to be really hard for me to write the talk without feeling, without like ripping You're gonna off You're going to have to credit me, Matt. Yeah, I am, yeah. I am. I'm just, it, there's no clean room for me. Then I think, I think Michael actually even suggested, he said, this would be a really good show 
for ADO, which I said, yes, it would be, and you should be on it. So that's what happens when you suggest a show idea. And a really good idea for me as Matt's girlfriend, who is just starting to understand DevOps a bit after dating for almost a year, uh, but working in marketing, totally agree with Michael, what you're saying about really figuring out the people problems, um, as I think building a personal brand is really about relating to other people at the end of the day. Let's just start with that. You know, what, what does it mean to have a personal brand? Well, for me, a personal brand is what people say about you when they go to lunch and you're not there, or what your boss says about you when he's with his peers and uh, one of the other directors, um, she talks about uh, you in a good way or in a bad way, and he might be def- uh, defending you or not. So what is said about you when you're not there? And there's an element in that to me where you don't really have control of your personal brand. Um, and, and that's key to it, that it's not, it's not like you could push the compile button or run the tests on what people say about you or think about you. It's more of a soft thing that you can't really get a hold of ever, but you can uh, really influence. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I it, it is sort of like the energy that you exude in addition to what people say about you. It's almost, I think, a personal brand is what would someone, dis- if somebody wanted to get something done through you, what would your colleagues describe as the best approach in order to, you know, come to you and say, oh, you know, Andrea is the type of person who really appreciates collaboration or Andrea is the type of person who actually likes to work on her own. Um, and it's kind of like those motivations of, of really how people would describe working with you. Clearly, that's why it's really important to optimize so that you can actually get things done within your organization. What's the difference between a brand and a reputation? I think they're very similar. Fortunately or unfortunately, I think your reputation as the way you like to work can actually really influence um, how others play back your personal brand. So I think if you have a reputation for sort of being hot-headed or um, if, you know, people would describe you as uh, decisive, right? Like those those are two things that could actually, you know, the decisiveness could be um, really good in a lot of situations and, and also, you know, could be really bad, right? It, it, to be hot-headed. So I think it's probably that your reputation plays into it because your reputation is going to be based on past experience that people have with you. Uh, so I think it just, it's really important that you you have a clear idea of what your reputation is in order to build your personal brand. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who are in the technical arena think the branding thing is for the salespeople or the marketing people or whatever. What I've realized over the years is everybody gets a brand. Uh, you don't really get a choice. So some people, their brand is total and complete asshole I never want to work with. Other people, their brand is helpful. And that is kind of like a reputation, but but you don't, you know, back to what my earlier point was and what you're talking about too, um, you don't really control it and you get one whether you like it or not. And so if you... If your goals are being met personally and professionally with your reputation, your brand, whatever people think about you, then that's great. But if you start trying to do bigger and better things, um, like I've done it, uh, trying to do it in NCR with, uh, with Chef, and then all of a sudden, the way people view me and how, how I treat people really matters. 
uh, in order to meet my goals. And I can't run away from a brand as being something that only the salespeople or management gets into. I have to really uh, pay attention to it myself. One thing when I think about the conversations that we kind of had about this topic and about why it's important, it helps you be a more effective change agent because it gives validity to your stances, to your points. And I think the counter to that would be, well, isn't that unfair? Shouldn't every point stand on its own? Why should Matt get listened to more? Because he has gotten people to believe that he's a more expert in this particular topic. And I, I think it goes back a little bit to your your statement of saying, like, you can't say, well, that's not a thing that matters to me because it's going to. And And I think we can wail and gnash teeth and say that the stuff should rise on its own merit. But... That's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. I guess that's uh, – could you see yeah. how this could be abused, I guess? I'll tell you a story, and, and I guess I'll start with a point that when you're trying to change things, the way people feel when you're trying to um, influence them is really, really important. And so a few weeks ago, I was talking uh, to a colleague, and they were dictating a policy that I needed to um, – that I needed to adhere to. And I, in, on the inside, I was frustrated. I, I was confused. I didn't understand it. I thought the person was being kind of a jerk. Um, but I outwardly complied to their policy because they had the right to uh, impose that policy on me. Um, but when it comes to really following them, um, I'm not really going to follow them. And if I'm the person trying to influence uh, a lot of people or an organization or something like that, and people are feeling like I'm a jerk or people are feeling like they're not being heard or people feel um, like their interests aren't being paid attention to, uh, then they're going to fight me. Um, and you're going the the elements of Keep, uh, the elements of the organization that are uh, the le the most resistant to change are going to win in the voice because they're going to say, you know, this guy, he just doesn't really understand us. He's living in an ivory tower and he's, he's not, uh, he doesn't have our best interests. And that, that that's when I think um, you can play a real, really a truly sales role of coming in and, and aligning people's true interests with, um, with a solution, then you can really get people on your side and all of a sudden they're working with you. I think it's kind of the difference between trying to go upstream or downstream uh, in a river. It, you, it's just impossible to go against people's feelings uh, of what they think and, and, and feel. And uh, if you get them on your side, then you're kind of swept up in a, in a rush of, of everyone helping you reach the goal. It's like we've talked about before, the compliance versus commitment. You're not going to get mm -hmm. in that kind of an example, like in, even in the anecdote you gave, right? Like you, you literally said you complied. Absolutely. Admitted, right? He didn't nope. he didn't win you over, he made you do it and you said that's all right. Yeah. I mean so much of business, right? It's just getting up in the morning and figuring out how to work with people to get things done. You know, I think if you you know, Michael, what you said, it's it's about how you make people feel as in the process of getting those things done. And at the end of the day, you need both you do need to manage up and you need to manage down if you're in middle management and you need to manage laterally, right? And and you have to figure out how to get things done with people. You know, the best thing is is to you know, when you you start thinking about 
how you fit in to the culture of your organization is just as important as sort of how you fit in at happy hour, right? Like it's, I think when you have congruency with the way that your company operates, you know, uh, Beam Centauri, it's known as a very fast moving dynamic organization. You can move very quickly, make a difference, be a change agent very quickly and be rewarded for that. And that's something that for me personally, it really motivates me because that's kind of how I do things, right? I'm sort of the the fixer, the problem solver. Um, and I think it's really critical that you can sort of live authentically and help people rally around how you want to get things done based on the way the culture moves. Um, and I think you see examples of people who just don't have great reputations or great personal brands when the way that they operate is not congruent with the way the organization fundamentally operates. Because uh, culturally, it's just a bunch of people working with other people, right? At the end of the day, the the tasks get checked off the list, whether they're, for me, marketing tasks, media-related tasks, or IT-related tasks. You know, I think it's about how those things get done that really shape the culture. Maybe I'm wrong with this, but I think that technical people have a unique challenge because when we start out our career, nobody expects us to be very social. Like we were the people with no friends in high school or we were playing Dungeons and Dragons off in the corner, right? <laughs> and and so everybody just zero expectations. And then if we're if we're doing our career the right way, I guess, we when we get into a meeting earlier on in our career, somebody gets up and says you know, here's the way we're doing something. And we raise our hands and you're, we say, you're doing it all wrong. And so we're loud and we're proud and we're right. And we get rewarded for that. And even, you know, when you grow that part of your career, you're, you're the subject matter expert, you're right. Nobody expects anything from you socially. And then, then what businesses sometimes do is surround you with people like a product manager or, or a manager or whatever, who will just cover for your social awkwardness. And <laughs> then you continue to grow and you're all of a sudden, you know, doing really well in your career, but you just have been sheltered from the reality of exactly what you're talking about in a normal business sense. And, and I guess I would like to see more technical people line up with exactly what you just said, Andrea, that it is about managing up, managing down. It's about interacting with other people and all that stuff. And, and, and I think that if a technical person thinks that they are immune from those things, I guess I would say behind every technical person who thinks that they're immune from those things is a manager getting a big fat bonus. that's so it's so interesting you say that the first thing I thought of when you were talking about that is that I actually feel the burden of the opposite uh the counterpoint right of of the counterpoint of assuming that I was you know playing Dungeons and Dragons or really super anti-social I lead the media team which includes um a, a large group of very talented social media professionals lucky for me actually this this all works very congruently with who I believe I am as a person both outside and inside of the company which is someone who really believes in connections. So I love connections between brands and people, between people and people. And that's, you know, kind of how I live my life in general. But it's really funny because I think I probably couldn't, I guess, play that role or really have any kind of um, credibility in the space of building connections if I weren't as extroverted as I naturally am. So uh, funny, my funny little aside story is uh, they do we do uh, something called the predictive index, which is like a Myers-Briggs, like a personality test. And it measures you on different scales of um, 
of personality. And out of our entire marketing department, I am the second most extroverted person at the company, you know, out of hundreds of people around the world. Uh, and it's, it's funny, the only person who is more extroverted than I am on the, the swing is uh, the woman who runs our distillery down in Claremont, <laughs> Kentucky, who is interfacing with people daily. So, but anyway, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting as this is directed towards IT professionals to think about, you know, maybe what you could learn from your marketing um, counterparts in terms of, you know, how things get done being just as important as what gets done. I think especially as we're talking about driving change, and that's one of the things that if you go back and listen to, um, I'm going to try to do this one from memory, and I think I can do it. I think it's episode 30 was the culture change episode with Bill Joy, but that was one of the things we talked about is when you want to drive change in an organization, you need to be a salesperson, which again is taking yeah. a, a, a line out of the playbook from someone else in your organization. And then if we're going to take that same thing, like Andrea just alluded to. And this is where I kind of think it ties back to that question earlier when I said, what's the difference between your brand and your reputation? And we kind of went into this and, you know, Michael, you said, like it or not, you have one. Again, we can complain that that's not fair and I should be able to just do whatever, you know, not have to worry about this stuff. But the reality is it does exist. And you can either let that brand slash reputation come up the way that it just naturally does or do what you can to influence it. Also, we haven't heard from Trevor in like 20 minutes. So, <laughs> so I was thinking about it a lot more external to a company. And so it's interesting to kind of hear it reflected that way. Cause it makes me think of a couple, a couple questions of my own. Some of the folks I've worked with in the past have a kind of along the lines of being the problem solver and, and being that the kind of on some level, the antisocial it worker, constantly trying to solve all the problems to the point where you become you know, the rep, the reputation, the personal brand becomes one of someone who you, and whenever there's a problem, you throw it at them, whether they have time to or not, there's no longer, you lose the concern. The person's brand is they're no longer, they're almost no longer a person. They're just something that you push tasks to. How do you go about changing that? Cause I'm sure you, I'm sure everybody on this podcast can think of somebody who fits that bill to me i think that those people when i've talked to them they secretly like being that person and so if your brand is somebody who likes to take the tasks wake up at two in the morning put the fires out if that's how you see yourself it's going to be very difficult for you to get out of it and that might be another point of branding is you cannot get out of your real brand um, otherwise, without looking fake. Yeah. So if that's really them, then go with it, enjoy it, and maybe ask for a raise, something like that. But I mean, if that's who you are, and I think that a lot of times people in that role will outwardly complain about it, but then when you get to the bottom of it, they really like putting out fires and being the one everybody counts on and uh, spending a ton of time on it, not really having a life. They just like that. And so that's their brand and uh, they should go with it if that's what they want to do. And if they, they should not, if they don't want to do that, then just think about different changes that they can make and start at an action level. One thing I was going to say, I agree with you completely, right? If that's, if that's really who you are, don't fight it. Uh, just embrace it and figure out ways to embrace it that 
sort of make you happy in the way that you work with people. But I was going to say, in that case, so I have the pleasure of working with some really talented business solution IT professionals within our organization and externally at, at other companies we've hired. Um, and it's really interesting because I can think of one person in particular who I work with at my company who had one specific task he was hired for that was sort of related to marketing, more related to HR. And I've ended up working on several different projects with him. And it's all because he will swing by my desk and be like, hey, what are you working on today? What's important to you? You know, we've had a couple of coffees and a couple of lunches, enough to know that I have issues that he could potentially help solve. And it's been a really nice sort of way that he has gotten more exposure for himself by reaching out to people like me and marketing other people within sales, other people within legal and different departments. And you sort of see him becoming, you know, a lot more of a thought leader cross-functionally. Um, because he is able to sort of have those discussions and ask people just in a really authentic way, you know, what else needs to happen or what else could he help with? I think that that goes into uh, a mechanism for, again, developing your own brand awareness as well, right, is those those conversations. I was thinking about how Trevor and I probably think about personal branding a little more externally than internally, just from a professional standpoint. So being working in kind of a consulting or a customer facing, you know, I, I think that I think about being a change agent within Chef, but most of the time I'm working with affecting this stuff to my customers. Trevor, probably similarly, while you want to make things better at 10M, your most of your time and your reputation is your your capital is greater realized when it's what can it do to help you promote your work to do better work for customers of 10th, right? Versus Absolutely. Michael doing the same thing inside of NCR. So I think that's one one thing too to think about is like you might be realizing that in different ways. And so as you're thinking about when we go into the next thing I want to talk about, which is the how, like what are some techniques for, for doing this in a genuine way? You need to, I think, think about where your brand is being consumed. If your brand is an internal brand, um, then perhaps, for example, having a whole lot of, and this is going to, I'm just like overreacting to this sort of, but having a whole bunch of followers on Twitter who retweet everything you say about, you know, Ansible and you're trying to sell Ansible within your company doesn't really help you at all. But if you're a consultant, right, or you're an external, or you're someone who's giving mm-hmm. talks or doing things like that, then that external reputation carries some more weight. I mean, I think the external reputation maybe can, I'm just, I don't think it's an either or, I think it's how the mix happens. Maybe. Absolutely. I think there's a question we can ask before that, and that's how do you identify kind of your core archetypes? So like we've talked about, you know, the person who's kind of the overachiever. We've talked about the person who wants to do better and solve problems. We've talked about the people who are kind of introverted and and don't do as many things, like don't not, not don't do anything as many things, but focus and don't communicate as openly. We've talked about people who work in marketing and how they can be more extroverted. How do you how do you suss out the the framework of your personal brand? I think you've got to get some data, right? I think it's about uh, a, a heightened level of self awareness. And as a as any professional, entry level, mid level, senior level, I think it's really critical to have self awareness, right? Like the best people who I manage have very high self awareness and can understand feedback very simply when it's something they need to develop 
or can take in feedback as something that they're doing well and continue to focus on. So I think it's things like, you know, asking others, uh, people who you trust in your current role, you know, people who you work with who can give you authentic feedback. It's those, I think it's those over-the-counter tests too. Like I mentioned predictive index or PI being something that we use at the company. There's, there's lots of great books out there. Uh, there's a, I did, I did a workshop recently for a women's leadership initiative with a woman named Sally Hogshead. And uh, Sally Hogshead wrote a book called How the World Sees You. And it's really interesting. You take a, however, you know, 20 question diagnostic, and it will tell you exactly the kind of the, the overwhelming characteristics that people will see from you. So I think that's a great way to start is gathering data. I think that's starting, this is all starting to crystallize a little bit to me again around that difference of reputation and brand. Yeah, I recently uh, read a book uh, uh, called Branding Pays by Karen Kang. She talks about how a brand is composed of cake and icing. So the cake is the rational value and icing is the extra spice, right? And, and she says that most technical people are focused on the cake. What are you, Matt? I am an expert chef person and I'm, I'm good at sales, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I can, I can bring people along the sales cycle and I do rest of DevOps podcast, right? And then everybody stops there. But then what is the icing? And the icing is how do people feel when you're around? And so that's where the being helpful is, but it's being helpful is almost like in a in a rational way. Do people feel like they are being helped when you're about there? chef? Yeah. Right. So I can see how um, it, like the icing ties the cake, to, holds the cake together, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, and, well, and right. people go for both. People want a little. People, the, the icing separates you from somebody's resume that just says expert at chef and good at sales. You know. Right. Um, and it. it well, so it, you can have your you can have your asshole too, who's good at dot net. But if the if the icing yeah. shit, you're still not going to want to eat the cake. You don't want to eat. Right. <laughs> it's and, it's so true. Well, and just another thing to, to say about the asshole. The problem with data is if you're an asshole, no one's going to tell you because they think you're an asshole. And so that takes a very iterative self-awareness where you show people and you get to that one person who's really going to tell you and you show them that you are really willing to change, that you're willing to um, make uh, to, to be better. And then over time, if you if you have some things that people are scared to tell you, you need to build trust over time for, for them to really tell you, you know, and, and I think from a technical standpoint, we're just so used to pushing the run button or the test button and then it gives us the clear answer that you're not going to get a clear answer at first. You have to iterate and experiment and find the people you trust uh, to, to really get uh, to Andrea's point of measuring where you are uh, with what people think about you. I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, a great blog post by Dave Shackelford at PagerDuty called Empathy is CI for the Soul. So it's, you know, the idea that, again, using empathy as your tests for, for that. But I think it, it, and he spoke about the same kind of stuff, that it's, it's tough to get that, first of all, to receive that feedback in general. And then it may even, but it's also tough to get it, to get it in the first place. And when you're in a position that people will do that for you, that's a really wonderful place to be as much as it may be hard to hear. I mean, I had, we did a, a, a proof of concept with a customer not that long ago. And I had some folks from other parts of our company were along to sort of see how 
how we did things. And one of them was someone that I have a lot of respect for. Um, I won't name names because it'll get full of himself. <clears throat> Frank Weber. He, you know, afterwards he asked me and he, I will give him respect for saying he asked, he said, would you like some direct feedback? And I said, yes. And then, and he gave it to me and it was, it was hard to read because he was very, it wasn't cruel empathy. It wasn't, you know, it was just, it was direct. Tell us. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, cause I just said it so much, right? But one of the things was that I talked too much. I don't think anybody who's participating in this episode. So <laughs> Michael who sat and watched me do trainings and, and sessions and Trevor, who's been doing this podcast with me. So we've spent how many hours and Andrea who, spent has uh, probably spent almost as many hours listening to me talk as Trevor has. <laughs> <laughs> so having that uh, awareness is really powerful. And when you can get that, um, that's great. But I think Michael, your point is right because if you're an asshole, no one's going to tell you, you might not even know. And you don't think you are. It is right. I think I like that cake and icing thing. It's like, it's the what and the how, right? It's, you know, like the, what of my brand is being a leader, a dynamic leader, being a media expert, but the how is building positive, authentic connections and sort of like radiating positive energy. That's kind of the thing that the, the how that I try to stand for. If I were to, to summarize, um, I like that a lot. I think a lot of times it can be really hard for people who um, suffer from imposter syndrome or just in general, depending on where you're at, to work this up, to work on building your reputation or building your brand without feeling like you're bragging and to feel and just continue to be genuine. Yeah, I think in technology and even just in our culture today, authenticity is so important and being real is so important. And if you're not who you really are, people are going to see through it. And I think the branding metaphor is a bit unfortunate because of what people think about when they think of branding. They think of kind of somebody who's full of themselves or somebody who is not real. And I just look at it kind of like I said earlier, it's it's how people view you, what, what people will say about you if they go to a work lunch and you're not there and the topic of you comes up. And what I want them to say is the truth and the truth only comes about by results. And so if I'm able to bring people to a place where they feel listened and they feel understood and they feel like I'm on their team and they actually succeed with the initiative that I'm uh, a part of, uh, then I don't have to worry about what they're going to say about me at lunch. It's probably going to be very positive. So I think that at the very basic level, it's all about results. And that's what business is about too. If you can't get results, it doesn't matter what people feel or, or how you come across or whatever. So results are the basis. And then are people feeling uh, like they're a part of it? Or are they feeling like you just stormed in and did your thing and are getting all the credit for, for it? So I think humility is a good uh, part of it. And uh, something that I've really been working on myself is making the transition from being the person who is always right, being the person with the answer, you know, that technical person, being the person, like you were saying, Matt, being the person who talks all the time, uh, to being the person who's listening, being the person who lets people um, 
come up with the idea and who facilitates that idea and makes it a reality. Uh, being the person who's calm, being the person who's who's humble, who's sitting back and and relaxed and not anxious about or trying to prove myself to everybody. And, and I'll be honest, it's a real hard transition to make when you've been rewarded for so many years for for being the guy who raises uh, raises his hand first and asking the tough questions and and uh, and being direct when people are wrong and stuff like that. So, but I think that that's critical as somebody wants to broaden their scope and influence in an or- inside of an organization or outside of an organization to be uh, that type of person in order to get more stuff done. Yeah, you just really, I can't agree more. You just have to be who you are. I think, I mean, going back to the, the question about can this come off as being braggy or, you know, overly self-promoting? I mean, as long as you, you're authentic to who you are and that person is not a completely arrogant asshole, as we've said, um, who only cares about themselves, like it's, it's not going to come off that way, right? It's, it's going to come off as who you really are. I think one of the things as I've talked about, you know, making connections being an important part of what I like to do within my organization. Uh, one of the things I do externally is I try at least once a quarter or so to get out there in one of the universities and do a guest lecture on the topic of social media or traditional media or, or whatever the case may be, uh, just to make sure that I'm out there sort of making connections in the community, because that's kind of something that I've said is authentic to who I am. So it's it's something that's just natural. And again, I think exactly what Michael said, if you're authentic to who you are, it doesn't matter what anybody's going to say about you, because they're not going to they're not going to go there. They're not going to say that you're overly braggadocious or anything like that because you're you're just you're being who you are and living out your values. Maybe I can describe uh, three projects. The first project was years ago introducing Team City into my organization uh, for continuous integration. JetBrains is an awesome company, and I stood up the server, put it on my project. Um, and basically felt a moral duty to help anybody get on to that server because of how much it helps people uh, improve their effectiveness. And and I would tell people, I'll meet you at two in the morning. I'll wake up and we will set this thing up for 30 minutes so so that this will be a reality. And that Team City is basically just about all we use for continuous integration within hospitality at NCR. Um, and it's awesome. Everybody uses it. People love it. It was great. And, and so what, what came out of that was a great product and the willingness to help and go along with people. Um, then another, another project, which I will be very vague in, um, was one which I was doing a multi-product initiative uh, to to improve a particular um, a particular part of our product, um, and unfortunately, not all products really were on board with the improvement, and it had to be. It had to be everybody on board or else the thing wouldn't happen. It's kind of like a unification design type type of effort. And unfortunately, I ignored the lack of alignment and the lack of buy-in to my vision and just thought that by the sheer awesomeness of my technical prowess, I was going to be able to make this thing happen. And the whole time, the half of the people that did not 
um, that, that weren't really on board with it, weren't happy with being interrupted with my meetings and weren't happy with their schedules getting, uh, getting interrupted and having these commitments thrust on them that, that they didn't want. And they probably didn't come away from that feeling very good about me. I had to resort to a lot of, well, this is what we're doing, guys, you know, kind of thing. And it's just sort of over time, uh, it just feels like you're walking up the wrong or, or you're swimming upstream. So that, that was a situation in which I failed. And what I learned from that is, you know, com- con- contrasting Team City with this other project, I learned the power of people being on board with what you're doing and the power of a good tool that, that you can, um, that you can leverage that people will get into in, in its own regard. And so when we started doing a configuration tool search, I was looking for that type of experience. I was looking for people to get on board on their own merit. Um, and I was looking for the ability to, um, to bring people together without having to try very hard. Um, but also leveraging my skills and my technical abilities and my ability to network and all those things to bring that together. And I was looking for something that, that would be natural to move forward. And, um, and that's what I found with Chef uh, working with Matt. I remember talking with Matt on the phone. I think it was like mid-December of 2014. And, and, and I was asking him, I, I don't know how we're going to make a decision for this. And Matt says, it's going to be great. It'll be 45 days. We'll, we'll have a decision. And I remember hanging up the phone thinking, there is no way this is going to happen. But I will do whatever I can because I believe that this is going to be great uh, for our organization. I'll do whatever I can to make it happen. And and Chef has been just like Team City for us. People do it on their own. You know, I, I'll, I have somebody come out of the blue. Hey, I was working with Chef and I have this thing with uh, with Test Kitchen and, and I – uh, want to uh, ask you a few questions about it, and I'm like, oh, who are what? Okay, great, and and so that's an example of, you know, if you're going with something, if you're truly yourself, if it's going to be something that that you don't have to fight, then all of a sudden you're in your element, um, kind of that authentic self. You're being your authentic self, and I think that you can then be the fill in the blank person in your organization. Um, and, and it took me, uh, it took me some time to find that role for me, but I think the chef role really does, uh, fit nicely with me for those reasons I laid out. Yeah. So I, I kind of get that balance too, where you've kind of got the, the products that you care about versus the products that you've got to bring in. And where I have the, the hardest time is I, my what I a lot of what I do at tenth is I'm a chef expert, and I participate in the, the Hangups Slack. I participate in the DevOps Library Slack, where all these people communicate and ask questions, including a lot of the customers I've both worked with or may work with in the future. And so one of the one of the things that I wouldn't I don't know that terrify is the right word, but it's almost terrify terrifies me is appearing vulnerable in those community participation and GitHub, uh, in those Slack channels, even if I'm 90% certain I know the answer to somebody else's question, I'm afraid that somebody else is going to come out and say, you're wrong. And that somebody who 
somebody who then has to accept me as an expert is going to see that and they're no longer going to accept my, me as credible, which is, is I, I finally kind of gotten past, got to the point where I'm comfortable asking questions, but I haven't been able to get myself to shake the want to be, to be not necessarily to be right, but not to be told that I'm wrong and lose that credibility. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought you were going in a different direction when you were, were thinking about this at first, but I want to speak to that because it's something I have struggled with. And because again, when you when you built a brand around being an expert in something, you almost feel like you have to be, you have to back away from displaying that expertise for fear of that it will be revealed that uh, you're marching down the street naked. And that little right. boy is going to pop up in Slack and point out that you're not wearing any clothes. And yeah. the reality is, and this is a thing that last summer, because I was being very frustrated with this, and uh, Joshua Timberman, who, if you are from the listeners in the chef community, you know, if there's anyone who, you know, uh, should know everything there is to know about chef, Joshua is one of them. And he pointed out to me, he said, you have to realize that you're, that, that these things are so big, you're not going to know everything about it. And he's like, that was one of the hardest things for him because there was a time when he knew everything there was to know, but it's gotten too big. And that's okay. And there's nobody, not even, I mean, just to take, again, take, you know, chef as the example, Adam doesn't know everything there is to know about chef and Adam will say things that are wrong, you know, because he doesn't necessarily know what's up to date with what. And I felt the same way. So to, you know, to say like, wait a minute, if my reputation is supposed to be that I know a lot about chef, well, and then something comes up, I can either say, well, I'm only going to answer questions where I'm a hundred billion percent sure that I'm right. And the thing is, I think that actually eventually over time probably damages your brand because now you don't talk about it anymore. Well, right. And sh- I think being an expert should be that you're endlessly hungry to learn about how your space is evolving. Not that you, you I work in the social media field. When I start, I started at my company six years ago. When I started, Twitter was barely around for brands. So I've had to learn how that works, not only what the advertising product looks like, what you know the organic opportunity looks like, how to build authentic connections with consumers on Twitter without feeling like a, quote, creepy brand. Um, but that's all done right through just like the constant knowledge and sort of working it out. And I think if you don't put yourself out there to try to answer those questions as a professional, at least in marketing, um, you're not going to have the right discussions in order to actually get to progressive answers in that. I, I think that so much of business is about not black or white or right or wrong, but very much could this gray area work for this specific case for us? And maybe I'm speaking a little too fluffy as a marketer, as you guys work in a tech field and it's much more, you know, well, yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I, I think also Trevor, you might think about your value, not necessarily being, the cake or the rational value because I think that's another trap that technical people get into is, well, I must be the expert in chef and that's my only value. And if I don't bring that to the table, then I'm nothing, you know, where it's uh, you're Trevor because you're an expert at chef, but also because of things that nobody else has that you bring to the table. 
And that's the real value proposition. And so you don't have to be all in on the rational value. You're building that as we're, as, as you're saying, Andrea, you're constantly learning, you're constantly evolving, but then that icing is there at all times that separates you from somebody who just has the exact same resume that you do. And uh, you can trust in that icing to lead you um, through the times when you're rebuilding your rational value. As you continue to grow in your knowledge of something, you raise the bar of what you think is the minimum requirement of knowing jack crap about anything along the way. So right now, like the things where you're like, well, this is just table stakes for knowing chef. So you're embarrassed if you blow one of those answers is like 300 million times higher than it was a year ago. Right. Like you would have been impressed that you were knowing the stuff down here. Yeah. And I, I thought about this. Actually, I don't know. You may have even witnessed this. I think it was yesterday, Trevor, or um, the day before in, in hang ops. I think it was in one of the chef channels somewhere. Someone was asking a question. I remember you contributed to it about validator lists or about multiple validators. And I answered something and then Noah's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And my first response <laughs> was I kind of recoiled a little bit and went, oh, no, I just look stupid. And then I kind of went, oh, wait a minute, this is an opportunity to learn. And I learned and I don't think anybody reading that discussion sat there and said, wow, Noah just took Matt to school and he's so stupid and I'm never going to listen to him again. It was actually by virtue of me bringing it up, you had sort of like writing to the lurkers happening, right? There were people who were watching that who learned everything that I just learned along the way. So sometimes the value of the expert is knowing how to ask the questions that people haven't realized they even want to ask, but then they'll be ready for the answers later, right? Like you're at an advanced level, so you're going to like say different stupid stuff than a beginner is going to say, but then right. the beginner won't have to say the stupid stuff later because you already said it for them. So that's one way to, I guess, think about. So I, I did see that, and that was part of why that was on my head. <laughs> Not because I thought you looked stupid, but because it made me think that I should be responding more. Or you could just oh, yeah. go with the, the whole. You could go with the whole theory that as long as you're eighty percent confident, it's right. Just go for your opinion. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know, these are the sorts of the questions that if you know, if I'm working with some some people in a room you know, doing my job as a consultant, I would absolutely just say the answer that I know. And, you know, even if, you know, the next converge failed or, you know, whatever didn't compile, I'd still just, you know, find the right answer and fix it. But it's that it's that kind of public situation that that raises that discomfort because I'm afraid of what the, the broad spectrum will think. I mean, that's why, you know, it's sort of the same reason why I always joke about how I don't talk enough on the podcast or how I don't do anything because I feel bad because Matt does everything. <laughs> My reputation is that I don't do anything. <laughs> Well, but I think this goes back to that thought about you and I thinking about our brand different in terms of an external brand. So like if Absolutely. I was, for example, um, you know, not to you know put words in your mouth, Michael, or something like that, but if you were in that same type of a situation, you're going to be probably more willing to take a risk on the mailing list or in an IRC channel or something like that, because your capital within NCR, chances are most of your coworkers are not lurking on the chef channel on hangups because you're the chef guy, right? So it's kind of okay. You may not care as much about your reputation within the chef community. Whereas Trevor, who's trying to make a living by being uh, an expert in the chef community feels like it's a little riskier. But yeah. then he's also willing to talk to the company like, I'll just say whatever. And you would not do that probably, right? You're like, wait a minute, I need to right. be sure. 
Well, I will say, though, it's been a shock to me to learn this in the past year as I've been doing self-awareness and growth that um, people really hate a know-it-all. They feel stupid around a know-it-all. They feel belittled. They feel like they can't talk. They feel like they don't have a voice. And if you feel like you have to have all the answers and know everything, you're probably making people feel that way. And, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself. I, I've been constantly recently just – I've been trying recently to clamp down on the urge to answer every single question and to take over every conversation. Um, and because back to what I was saying earlier, you get rewarded for that as a technical person early in your career – uh, but as you get into consulting and as you get into bigger and better things within an organization like NCR, um, if you're making everybody in the room feel like they're stupid or feel like they should know these answers, but you're the one who knows them and, and they, they should be reading these books or listening to these podcasts, but you're the one who did it. If you make them feel that way, then you're not going to be as effective as if you made them feel comfortable. So that actually goes into, I was just going to ask for some practical tips. And I think that's leading into one of them, which is if you're trying to build your reputation or your brand or whatever you want to call it in the subject is letting other, you know, just you're sharing your knowledge of it, right? When you've been successful, you've brought other people along for the ride. Like you gave the team city thing, which was not that you were successful with that because you went and you told everybody it was the right thing to do. You enabled them right? And yeah. help them get it going, help them do their thing. And then the same thing, like you said, instead of sitting there and saying, well, you know, I've read Jez's book and I've done blah, 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 and listened to this podcast, but just sort of saying like, hey, here's some things I know about. I'd love for you to know about them too. Here's like a whole bunch of different ways to learn about them. And then let's talk about them together. Yeah. You actually didn't have to really contribute any content for that, but you are now cemented in the head as the person who knows about that thing. So that might be one practical tip. Andrea, I'd be interested to know some other things people can do to help genuinely build awareness and brand around their expertise. Yeah. I mean, I think I can just point to some practical examples. I mentioned doing guest lecturing externally. I think it's really important um, to, uh, to talk to other people in your community, um, to participate in industry events. It, it's something that I think people do, but if, you know, it's like I, I've gone to South by Southwest Interactive a couple of times and it's like you can get swallowed up and lost in the madness of all of that. It's really critical. If I go to South by Southwest or CES or any of the kind of bigger marketing conferences, I'm actually there to network with other people. I'm Nobody's giving away trade secrets up at the podium or on a panel. You know, it's like, it's great and it's inspiring and you hear some super dynamic speakers, but you know, you're, you're really there to network with others. So I think you just honestly have to put yourself out there in um, industry appropriate venues. And then, you know, I've thought about this a lot, like, you know, building a website, you know, my own website, that would just be more of a, you know, career link kind of thing and uh, just a little bit more exposure. But, but I will say, I think we haven't talked about this much, but um, Michael did touch on this a bit, is that, you just have to be who you are inside and outside of, of the walls of the business. So I don't have a separate Facebook for work or a Twitter for work or a, you know, I mean, LinkedIn's a bad example because it's for work. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I'm friends on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all these things um, on a personal level with many of my coworkers. And that's not, 
purposefully trying to build a personal brand with them. It's really just because this is who I am and these are the things I'm interested in. You know, I play volleyball and I like craft projects and I like hanging out with Matt and his kids and that's who I am. And that's what I talk about at the water cooler at work as well. So I think just being who you are and sort of finding outlets to represent yourself, whether it be um, industry events or social media or other related fields, it's that's what's important. And Trevor and I proof that anybody can start a podcast. This <laughs> <laughs> is anybody could be on a podcast. So if you'd like to increase your yeah. personal brand by appearing on Arrested DevOps, send us an email. With what you want to talk about. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Don't just say <laughs> I want to be on the show. Tell us what you want to talk about, what your brand is and, and why it's important. <laughs> Andrea, you know, you talked about, you know, going and speaking at events and things like that. I think sometimes that can feel intimidating for a couple different reasons. Uh, and I want to put that a little bit to maybe get, help people understand that it's not so super scary. First of all, if you're not the kind of person who likes to speak in public, that's okay. So we'll, we'll take that type of person and put them aside for a minute. We'll talk about some things they can do that aren't public speaking. But I know a lot of people who have no problem with public speaking. That's part of their job even. You know, think about people who are consultants or sales engineers or whatever, and they, they, they talk to people all day long, but do not want to give talks. And it's, I think that's where things like imposter syndrome or specifically what Trevor just talked about, which I think is a variant on it, rear its ugly head because it's like, wait a minute, you're going to have me go speak at the, I'm going to go talk to Velo at, you know, to all these people at Velocity or something. And there's going to be all these people out there who are way smarter than me. And they're going to like destroy everything I had to say. And the first thing is that if you really believe that your colleagues in this industry are that big of jerks, then why do you work here? Then maybe you should go work somewhere else because people tend to not be like that. Uh, and then the other thing is to remember just that anything you have to say is valuable. Um, your particular story is valuable. And think about things like local meetups or DevOps days, or, or even just even if it's not that your thing isn't speaking, but you, but you are more extroverted than the average bear, maybe. But Andrea kind of talked about going to events and networking, or like, we'd like to talk about the hallway track, what you can do with those connections, because think about how this could be a really powerful thing. And again, we'll kind of pick on Michael and say this could be another, for instance, let's say throughout your journey of trying to do this adoption, uh, you had gone to a DevOps days and you'd met someone who had already done this migration to Chef and you weren't in any kind of a competing business. You know, they didn't, they worked for, you know, someone completely opposite of what you did it would probably be willing to talk to your team about what they did. Right. And now you're a huge expert. Because you again, it's just like saying you're bringing that in. You're being able to say, I can leverage my connections, not my like cool connections in the industry, but <laughs> someone yeah. else can. You, you, you're going to find people who can help validate what you're trying to say, or or help you realize it doesn't necessarily work. And I would just add, you know, speaking at conferences is great. It's also equally as impactful to get out of your cubicle and walk around the floor and just talk to people. Yeah, I give. I give this advice a lot um, to people who are more introverted and it's something that I hate to give the advice on because it's, I have no issue. In fact, I don't, I usually don't go a half day without walking around and talking to people on the floor, but I can understand that that doesn't feel authentic to some. And all I would say is give yourself a little goal, you know, like just decide that, Hey, this week I'm going to have three hallway conversations unprompted and give yourself a little bit of a, a prep on what you might talk about. If that, if just going up and kind of, you know, shooting the breeze is not part of what you would do normally. I, I think 
think it's good to have a couple goals around there. It, I think it's okay to be deliberate about networking. I think it's actually a really good thing to be deliberate about networking. Um, as long as you're doing it in a way that's genuinely being interested in what the person is going to say, not just the topic you bring. I think you can also, if you're not someone who's going to feel comfortable reaching out in the physical space, there's a lot of maybe one practical thing to think about um, extending your virtual networking to really mess that metaphor up is to say, hey, you know what, next time I have an issue with this particular software, instead of calling the vendor directly, I'm going to go try Stack Exchange or I'm going to reach out on Slack on Hangops or something like that. Because number one, first of all, you're actually going to probably get better results because you're going to have lots and lots of eyes on it. But now you're starting to interact, right? And, you're, and then you start to know people. And it gets into this idea of, again, you're building that understanding of each other. And then that's someone who can be helpful to you in lots of different ways, not just answering your question, but being able to be someone who can help bring, again, validity as you're trying to make these changes within within your group or your org. I guess there's just sort of one one final thought, although I think I know what the answer is to it, but this is something that's been been brought up, which is uh, when we talk about this topic, and I guess I, 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 this isn't, I just want listeners to think about this. I imagine quite a few of you saw the title of this episode called Building Your Personal Brand. And we've talked about that term a lot and might've had some, you know, instinctual you know, reactions to it because it seems snake oil. It seems, you know, and maybe a little bit like a self-described thought leader who's invented themselves a brand. And I think we've talked a lot about how if you try to invent your brand, if you just sit down, like if I were to sit down tomorrow and say, I've decided I'm going to be the foremost authority on the proper way to test things written in Go that would be kind of ridiculous and very ingenuine. Now I could sit down and say, I want to learn a whole lot about it, but if my goal is to become a big expert on it so that I can write a book or so that I can be, you know, book to keynote, go for con, that's going to probably come across as completely in, ingenuine from day one, right? I think the way that you distance yourself from the self-described thought leader is that you're accentuating something that you already feel strongly about or you already believe in. Yeah, I think that people know who the self-promoter fake people are. Um, I was at dinner with some industry colleagues and a topic of a person came up and I actually respected that person and the colleagues were like, oh man, that guy told me all about him. And I think anybody who wants to go on the thought leader track or the uh, disingenuous thought leader, a fake and trying to build up an empire that doesn't exist might need to think about that uh, business dinner that people like me have where the topic of them comes up uh, because you just, there's no escaping results and authenticity. And if you don't get them, then you are, you're talked about uh, in that way. And it's, it's not a pleasant thing. Couldn't agree more. It's, you know, it's like uh, you're constantly trying to sell somebody on something that, again, if you don't have the results, if it's a fact that is not true, you're not going to be able to sell somebody on that. You're, you're actually not going to be able to stand for those, for any values. You're going to, in the short term, perhaps, you know, fool some people and perhaps you can get away with sort of not really being who you are and calling yourself a thought leader. 
But in the long term, real thought leaders don't consistently call themselves thought leaders. They're humble enough to know that they, they need other thoughts to lead any thought of their own. I was going to say, I imagine this yeah. is probably something that comes up in your your industry, especially in the social space, especially in anything. I think it probably is something that comes up in anything that's new, right? You're probably not seeing a lot of thought leadership in, you know, AIX system administration these days, but you're seeing a lot of it in DevOps, right? And same thing, you're probably seeing a lot of it in social, but not a lot of big thought leaders in direct to consumer mailing marketing. Or, <laughs> or legal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know a lot of people like when else speak at something like Andrea Javer is a thought leader in social media and a guru. And it's like, uh, no, (laughs) I I really am like endlessly passionate about the media space and about how people interact with companies and brands. I'm, I'm nothing more than someone who is very passionate and excited to learn. Um, And I don't say that just to try to be humble. I truly, there's so many things I don't know about the social media space. And I'm, not at all afraid to tell my colleagues that and to say, hey, instead of calling me an expert and asking for the answer, why don't we look at the data we have and figure out the, the answer together? If someone called me a thought leader, I would say I'm an opinion haver. <laughs> you have lots of those. I do. You do have lots of those. Uh, any final thoughts there, Mr. Hess? <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, I agree entirely. I think there's a there's a really fine line between having passion for something and the desire to learn it and the desire maybe fine lines not the right way to approach it but the difference between the goal being to be a master at something and the goal being to talk about being a master at something and that is the that is the fine line between where something becomes disingenuous well said well on that note that fine line between genuine and disingenuous or stupid and clever as uh, the boys in Spinal Tap may have said. Let's talk about uh, some community event stuff that's coming up. So opportunities for you to work that hallway track or potentially even speak at some conferences, which we'll talk about in a minute. And remember, if you do have an upcoming conference you would like to see us promote, fill out the handy dandy form at arresteddevops.com slash conf. So some upcoming conferences, DevOps Days Rockies will be April 21st through the 22nd. ADO listeners can save 10% off regular price with the discount code of ADO2016. DevOps Days Atlanta is April 26th through the 27th, and you can get 20% off the regular price with the discount code ADO2016. And then we have the very first DevOps Days Seattle will be May 12th through the 13th, and you can get 15% off with the discount code ADO2016. We have a whole bunch of open uh, calls for proposals. Uh, DevOps Days Vancouver and Minneapolis uh, are open till March 31st, so devopsdays.org. And Abstractions is also open till March 31st. I don't have the URL for that, but you can probably find it. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, DevOps Days Washington, D.C., they're doing that again, and their uh, CFP is open till April 15th. Salt Lake Cities is open till April 19th. And DevOps Days Amsterdam is open till May 30th. And I also see that the CFP for that conference it will be open March 1st through the 31st. So that conference is a lot of fun. Build a summer camp for geeks. It's up in the Wisconsin Dells. I spoke at that last year. Andrea went along, and she, you know, was there. So I will tell you that water parks a lot more fun with kids. <laughs> I, I went to the spa and then I listened to his talk and then we, we basically we went, went home. home. 
So, but we do have some exciting, uh, very for the very first time, Arrested DevOps news. So you can now purchase an Arrested DevOps T-shirt. They are available. Wow. Yeah. I'm the only one that has one yet because I haven't given Trevor his yet. <laughs> they are available at store.arresteddevops.com. Uh, we only have the unisex version right now, but there are more styles coming soon. Buy one today or don't. We're not the boss of you. Uh, let's go ahead and move into our checkouts, though. Speaking of the boss of me, Andrea, what do you have uh, for our listeners to check out? All right. Well, first of all, I would not be building my brand if I didn't mention that I also drink whiskey because whiskey is an important part of my job. Maker's Mark is part of our portfolio. I suggest it on the rocks or with ginger beer and a lime or really any damn way you like to drink it. It's a great product. So check out Maker's Mark. And um, there's a couple of books. I talked about the Sally Hogshead book, which is called How the World Sees You. Um, There's also something, uh, a book I recently read by Danny Meyer called Setting the Table. Um, This is a really odd recommendation from me as a marketer. It's actually about a restaurateur whose whole premise of starting sort of the world that he's become successful in is uh, by paying attention to the detail and giving customers, in his case, you know, patrons at a restaurant, a little bit more than what they expected. So it's kind of that idea of surprise and delight, which I think is a great idea for uh, for people who are trying to build their brand, give people a little more than what you expect, what they might expect. And finally, because I really am completely obsessed with this right now, this is the life-changing magic of tidying up. I decided this has gotten a lot of press. I heard about this at my annual girlfriend's holiday dinner in December. Um, It's by Marie Kondo. She's a Japanese woman who actually talks about how your life will improve dramatically if you just organize your shit. And I cannot agree more. I started with my desk about a month ago and my coworkers can tell you that I am quantifiably happier and more productive at work because my desk is completely neat and clean. And I'm starting to do my apartment and Matt could attest that I am happier and yes. better yes, at life. Indeed. I am very cluttered and less happy. <laughs> So there's some more empirical evidence for that. Michael, what do you have for us? Well, I will mention the book that I mentioned earlier in our conversation called Branding Pays by Karen Kang. Um, The book has a really good exercise in the middle where we're talking about the cake and the icing where she walks you through what you would write for yourself on a kind of a one page table. And she walks you through a really good exercise. Uh, So I I found that to be very helpful. Uh, Another thing that I really like is a website called Mr. Money Mustache. Um, This is a guy who was a a programmer and his wife was a programmer. They live in Colorado and they worked their asses off until they were 30 and then they retired. Um, And they live on $25,000 a year. So they're kind of big in frugality and big on financial independence. And I, I think that's really cool. It's also kind of cool for a technical audience to sort of think about those things. And then uh, similarly on the subject of money, I'm really a huge fan of the budgeting software. You need a budget, um, which is really awesome. And they recently came out with a, a new web app version. So I'm big on budgeting, kind of a nerd in that way. So uh, check that out if you are wanting to get your financial shit in order, as they would say. Awesome. All right. Thank Trevor. you. <laughs> so 
One of my favorite shows is The Venture Brothers, uh, which is notorious for having large gaps between seasons. Well, we are in the middle of a new season. Venture Brothers Season 6 is airing now, and it's awesome. You should check it out. Uh, WMF5 went RTM again. Um, and again. Shh. <laughs> 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 I mean, there's nothing wrong with breaking the PS module path, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that important? Did you care about that? No. Uh, and we and also another thing we mentioned during the show today was, uh, or tonight, or whenever you're listening to this, was the Hangop Slack, which is uh, is a public Slack channel. Uh, if you Google Hangop Slack, you'll find the sign up for it. Uh, I believe it's billed as it's the sign up sign up dot hangops dot com. I believe it's billed as the the Slack for DevOps people to be great to each other. <laughs> or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but it's awesome. There's tons of good people in there. You can ask questions and communicate, and it's nice. I'm a, I'm a very big fan of, of Hangups. So I've got a couple. One of them is a book called How Google Works. So this was written by Eric Schmidt uh, of Google and Jonathan Rosenberg. Larry Page wrote the foreword. So it's a lot of digging into kind of the business of Google and how things work within their organization. I found it to be really fascinating, highly recommend it. Um, actually, when I'm looking at most of my checkouts, I'm realizing there are things that I read or watched or did a while ago, and I'm just remembering them now. Another one, which I may have given as a checkout before, but if I haven't, or even if I have, is Visual Studio Code. So that's Microsoft's uh, open source and free as in beer or air, or whatever is the right type of free that it is, uh, text editor. And I got to say, one thing I find especially amusing about it is that its Git integration is better than Atom's, and Atom comes from GitHub. So figure that one out. Uh, also, uh, if you haven't seen the show, The Newsroom, I know it's it's been over for a while, but it's on uh, HBO Go, but it's also on Amazon Prime Video. So if you haven't watched the newsroom, you should watch it because I like it. And finally, I'm going to put out a request that if anybody can help me figure out the right tools or books or websites to read so that I can learn how to use OmniGraffle properly, uh, I'll feature it as a future checkout because Visio is the only thing I've been missing from a Windows PC and everybody tells me to use OmniGraffle and for the life of me, I've spent years trying to figure out how to do anything in it and I can't. So I would love for someone to tweet at me like how to do OmniGraffle or just teach me through a series of tweets. It'll be hilarious. We have a newsletter, by the way. You can sign up for it at arresteddevops.com slash banana stand. It is the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. Thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit them at arresteddevops.com slash 10th magnitude and arresteddevops.com slash datadog. Thanks to Andrea and Michael for joining us tonight, today, whenever this podcast is. And... Loyal listeners, if you enjoy Arrested DevOps, we'd appreciate it if you would visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store. We'd love to know what you thought of tonight's episode or whenever this episode is being listened to. Please leave us a comment at ArrestedDevOps.com slash personal brand. It's been a while. I think we're due to read another tweet soon. You mean another, another review? Uh, yeah, that's the real we thing I meant to say. We actually got a review, actually. Um, 
Oh, well then, uh, but we should have read it at the top of the episode. We'll do that um, on the next one we do, which we need to schedule. Hey, so, but speaking of um, like talking to us and and tweets, which wasn't what we were supposed to be talking about, we would love if you would follow us and talk to us on Twitter. We are, guess what, at Arrested DevOps. We're also Arrested DevOps on Facebook if you'd like to do that. So we're happy to get your input ideas or feedback via that old school email jive at shows at Arrested DevOps. Let us know any ideas you have for future episodes. As Michael can attest, we probably will make you come on and do the episode with us. I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. And I'm Trevor at Trevor G. Hess. We're Arrested DevOps, and remember... There's always DevOps. In the banana stand.